Morning, everybody. Luke Heron, my wife Jenny, is here with me. Um, as Shannon said, I'm the International Director of AIM, Africa Inland Mission. Um, very briefly, AIM works in 23 countries in Africa, and we really have our ministry focused on three things. We want to directly engage unreached people groups with the gospel, with disciple-making, with church planting. We want to mobilize African missionaries for that task, and we want to help train African church leaders. That's what we do in AIM. For the last five years, Jenny and I have lived in Bristol, England. That's where our office is, and uh, we've, been, we've been leading from there. We've had some visa issues uh, in the UK, and we had to leave the country for a year. It's just rules. It's not about us personally. At least that's what they tell us. Um, so uh, we're living in Sacramento for this year with our daughter, Laurel. So we're, we're not so far away, and we're happy to be here with you today. Um, this church has supported us for 27 years, and we are, we are so thankful to the Lord for that. Yeah. We're thankful to the Lord, and we're thankful to you uh, for that support. And there's been times of, of waxing and waning uh, in, in the church attendance, and I'm sure in your finances here, but your support has always been there for us, and we really, really appreciate that. It's an honor to be here speaking with you today. I'm going to pray. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here. Thank you for the message that I believe you've given me. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And I pray in his name now that you would help me to encourage and challenge my brothers and sisters, and you would help me to lift up the name of Jesus Christ in all that I do. And mostly we need the Holy Spirit here. I need the Holy Spirit to help me teach and preach, and we all need the Holy Spirit to apply the words to our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, send your Spirit to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm talking about disciple-making. Now, what does that mean? And I need to be clear about terms here. Often we confuse this term with what we call discipleship, okay? And we think of discipleship as, as people, Christians, growing in their faith in Jesus Christ, becoming better disciples of Jesus Christ. So we think about teaching and application of God's Word to our lives, discipleship. Disciple-making is bigger than that. And the word comes from the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Okay? Disciple-making. And he really, there's really three things included in that. Obviously, he didn't say this directly, but we look at how the disciples applied that. They went and they brought the gospel to the surrounding nations. Okay, so the first part of disciple-making is obviously going to be something, missions, evangelism, preaching, proclamation of the gospel, sharing the gospel, whatever we want to call it. But that's the first part, where, where people are converting to follow Jesus Christ. The second part, and Jesus says it, teaching them to obey all that I command you. Okay, so there's that discipleship part. So we're proclaiming the gospel, and then we're teaching and training all the things Jesus has commanded us. And the third thing, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And often we don't include this, but that's an important thing, and it's an important part of becoming disciples of Jesus Christ that we'd be 
publicly associate ourselves with some body of Christ somewhere. And somebody who wants to stay home and say, no, I have my faith all by myself. I read my Bible at my home. I'm not going to say that person is not a Christian, but there's something missing in his discipleship. So, three parts, preaching the gospel, teaching what Jesus taught, and baptizing, incorporating people into the body of Christ. That's my definition here of disciple-making. Okay. I'm going to preach from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, um, which is a striking chapter from a striking book, but we need the background if we're going to do that from Acts chapter 17. I'm not going to read the whole scripture in Acts 17, but I'll tell you the story, and you're familiar with this, I'm sure. Um, the history of the, of the Thessalonian church. It's part of that Macedonian call. Paul and Silas are on the second missionary journey, and they're wondering where to go, and it seems like the Lord's blocking them from going to different places. And then Paul has this dream of this Macedonian man. Okay, Macedonia, that's modern-day Greece. If you follow the news, there's a big controversy because there's a country called Macedonia, and they're having a big fight with Greece because they want to call themselves North Macedonia, and the Greeks don't like that. Okay. It's a little modern application of the Macedonian issue. In any event, Paul receives this Macedonian call, says, we're going to Macedonia. And the first place they go is to Philippi. And we know the story, Lydia, Philippian jailer, everything there. Okay, they leave Philippi, and the next place they go is Thessalonica. Okay, and that's where we have, that's where the story takes off. It says they bypass two cities Amphipolis and Apollonia, something like that. Two cities. It didn't say bypass, it says they passed through. No indication that they stopped and preached the gospel there. They might have, but it doesn't say that. And it says they went to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And I think that's significant. That may be the reason that Paul didn't stop and preach the gospel in those other places. Because Paul's M.O. was to bring the gospel first to the Jews, then to the Greeks. And he started with his own people in the synagogues. Okay, so that's, that's maybe the reason that they passed by. They went directly to Thessalonica. It says he reasoned out of the Old Testament in the synagogue with the Jews for three Sabbaths. Okay. Three weeks he's there. Now, maybe two weeks if the Sabbath starts and the Sabbath ends, only two weeks. Now, this is an amazing story. And it may be you read the text that they actually stayed there longer. But that's what it says. They reasoned in the synagogue for three weeks, arguing out of the Old Testament that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus, the Messiah had to die and rise again, and that this Jesus they're preaching was the Messiah. Okay, that was the basic, that was the basic uh, message in Thessalonica. Um, okay, some Jews believed, some of the Jews from the synagogue, and then a whole bunch of these people they call the God-fearers. And those were Gentiles, those were Greeks, who, were, who believed in the God of Israel. They turned away from idolatry and were following the God of Israel, but did not submit themselves entirely to the law of Moses. In particular, all the business about circumcision, they weren't going for that, but they worshipped in the synagogue with the Jews. So they weren't full Jews, but they called them God-fearers or God-fearing Gentiles, okay? And a bunch of them, people, a bunch of them came to faith, and it said not a small number of the prominent women as well. 
So you've got these three groups. You've got the hardcore Jews, you've got the Gentile God-fears, and you've got these prominent women. All of them come to faith, and it doesn't say it in Acts, but, but obviously the message spread out into the wider Greek or Gentile population because Paul talks about it, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, that you turn from idols to serve the living God. Okay, those weren't Jews, those weren't God-fearers, those were normal Greek people out in town. So, a tremendous move from all these different sectors of the population to Jesus Christ. Okay, the Jews who did not believe in Jesus are jealous, they stir up a riot, they recruit some of the, some of the low-life people out in the streets, they start a riot, they're looking for the apostles, uh, they didn't find them, they go to the house of a guy named Jason who apparently was housing the apostles, they drag him before the magistrates, the magistrates are very concerned about this, they make him post bail, they let him go, and that night Paul and Silas and whoever else are speared out of, ta- speared out of town and they go to a place called Berea. Okay. That's the story of Thessalonica, okay? Paul later sends back Timothy to check on the Thessalonians and encourage them, and probably later on still, he sends Timothy and Silas another time. But there's no evidence that Paul himself ever went back to Thessalonica, but he wrote these two wonderful letters that we call First and Second Thessalonians, okay? Some people think that this is the first of the, of the Pauline epistles, the first one he wrote around A.D. 51, probably wrote it from Corinth. Okay, so there's the background to the story. Now I'm going to read the scriptural text, okay? And this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Read the whole chapter, it's just 10 verses. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turn uh, turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. What does this have to do with work of AIM in Africa? What does this have to do with you on the peninsula? I won't say everything, but I do have a few comments that come from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is an amazing story. 
It's an amazing story what God did in Thessalonica, and it's kind of the the holy grail of missions. This is what we all want to see happen in in, in places all over the world, this this Thessalonian revival and how people come to Christ in such a short time and a church is founded. And you don't ever see any issues in this church. You see issues in Corinth. You see issues in Philippi. You don't see them in Thessalonica. Now, they were probably there, but you don't see them there in the Scripture And you might ask the question, does God still do this? Well, yeah, he does. He does do this. Um, It usually takes quite a bit longer than three weeks or a month, but he still does it. And we can ask, what are the elements of this kind of move of the Holy Spirit, this kind of rapid church planting or church multiplication there in Thessalonica. Drawing from Acts 17 and 1 Thessalonians 1, what are the elements? What what is required to make this kind of thing happen? Well, one thing for sure is bold preaching of the gospel, bold proclamation, bold sharing of the gospel, however we want to use, whatever term we want to use, that's an essential element. It's not going to happen unless the gospel is intentionally and boldly shared. Okay? Second element, power of the Holy Spirit. It's all over 1 Thessalonians 1. The Holy Spirit showed up. And it's very clear to anyone who stands in this pulpit that we can say whatever we want and say whatever wonderful words and encourage and stimulate and challenge you, but unless the Holy Spirit anoints our words and unless the Holy Spirit applies the words to your heart, nothing changes. So power of the Holy Spirit. Third is that it was God's chosen time and place and people. This was in the sovereign will of God that the Word of God came to the Thessalonians at this time. Okay, bold preaching, presence of the Holy Spirit, sovereign will of God. Okay, some of those things we have some control over, some we have none right? How bold we preach the gospel, how intentionally we share the gospel, okay, we have a lot of control over that. A lot of that's up to us, okay? Presence of the Holy Spirit, you might say, hey, that's up to the Holy Spirit, sovereign Holy Spirit. We can't tell the Holy Spirit what to do. Yes, that's true, but there are things that we can do to cultivate the presence of the Holy Spirit in our ministry. So, we have something to do with that. Sovereign will of God, that's still sovereign will of God. That's up to God, okay? So, those three elements, yeah, we have some control over some of those things and very little over others. Let me tell you a brief story from Africa. Southern Tanzania, the Matumbi people, a resistant Muslim people group uh, in, the southern Tan- in southern Tanzania. Um, AIM sent a team to this, <clears throat> to this people group several years ago, and they labored for three or four years, working hard, learning language, building relationships, learning the culture. This was not an easy place to live. People were getting sick all the time. People lived in fairly primitive conditions. Not at all an easy place to live, but they persevered. Three or four years into it, they developed a strategy. They got an idea. Here's what we want to do. And they called together 
believers from around the whole area. There were believers, a very few of them were Matumbi believers, but most of them were from other tribes who had received the gospel. And there's little churches, isolated churches, kind of stuck in their own denominational framework, <coughs> living among the Matumbi. They called these people together, okay? And they taught them. They taught them how to be and how to make disciples, Okay, they prayed together, they taught them how to pray. Mostly they fostered unity among these different groups. Okay, and what happened? The Holy Spirit showed up. They met for about a week, and the Holy Spirit worked powerfully among them and really made them understand oh, we're not at all working together. We're all isolated. We need to get together. We need to plan and pray and preach the gospel. And that's what these Tanzanian believers did. And they formed a plan, and they made themselves accountable to each other, and they went to the different Matumbi villages, and they preached the gospel. And people started coming to faith. Most of them Muslim people, most of them Matumbi people. Not thousands, not millions, but more than a hundred in the first six months. These are people leaving Islam, coming into the kingdom of God. A real move of the Holy Spirit there. Yeah. There was persecution. One of, the, one of the leaders of the believers, he got poisoned. He went to a particular village. They fed him some food. He said, this tastes a little funny. He later found out they gave him rat poison. He could have died from that. He had the courage after he recovered to go back and continue to preach the gospel in that village. Yeah. But those elements that I'm talking about, bold proclamation of the gospel, power of the Holy Spirit, sovereign will of God, they're all evident there in Matumbi land in Tanzania. These kind of things still happen. Now let's go back to 1 Thessalonians. And really, I just want to talk about two things in 1 Thessalonians here. I want to talk about what are the marks of true disciples and what is the method of making these true disciples. Okay, there's a lot to say in this and I can't say it all. But again, we're talking about disciple making, so let's think about what are we trying to make if we're thinking about making disciples and how do we make it? Yeah, what are the marks what are the methods? The marks of true disciples. Yeah, whether this is in Tanzania, whether this is on the peninsula here, it all seems to come down to transformed lives. Okay? People's lives are transformed when they become true disciples of Jesus Christ. Paul says you gave up idols to serve the living in God. Transformation of their lives. Okay, probably very few of us have ever been idol worshipers in this congregation. We don't bow down before little statues. People need to turn away from worldliness, love of this world. That's just as much an idol as the little statues people worship in other parts of the world. Okay. Transformation of lives, perspective changes. Their eyes became fixed on God and on waiting for Jesus Christ to return. Their eyes turned away from the world and turned toward God. A heavenly perspective instead of an earthly perspective. These are marks of true disciples of Jesus Christ. Next, proclamation. It says their faith sounded forth from that place. And I, it's, it's clear that some of this was just how the story was being repeated in the surrounding countryside and the surrounding cities, and people were talking about this. 
Okay, so some of this is just the story that gets passed on. But I don't know. You can read this and you could think, I think the Thessalonians actually sent their people. I think they went from Thessalonica and went into the surrounding communities and shared the gospel that they'd learned. This is a mark of true disciples, that they proclaim the gospel. Their lives are transformed, their perspective is changed, and they proclaim the gospel. Okay. Perseverance. Parable of the sower, Matthew 13, you know this, four soils and all this. The four soil, they bear fruit with perseverance. It's not three weeks in Thessalonica. Usually it takes perseverance to bear fruit. And Paul used these beautiful images. He says, your work produced by faith, your labor produced by love, the endurance of your hope. Yeah, faith that works, love that labors, hope that endures. Perseverance is a mark of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And finally, joy. Paul talks about this joy that you had even in extreme suffering. There was suffering for these Thessalonians, not just for the apostles. They had to, they had to flee town, but the Thessalonians suffered as well. So joy in the middle of difficulty, trouble, persecution, a mark of true disciples. These are the kind of things that we look for when we are trying to make disciples of Jesus Christ in Tanzania, on the peninsula, but also in ourselves. And we need to ask ourselves, as we think about trying to make true disciples, are we true disciples of Jesus Christ ourselves? Do these marks of true disciples, are they in us? The method of making true disciples. It's an important point. Paul says, we know that God has chosen you. Ah, doctrine of election, whatever you want to call it. But Paul says, we know it's happened. We know God has chosen you. How did it happen? How does Paul know that God has chosen these Thessalonians? Matthew Henry says, yeah, Paul went up to the third heaven when he had this vision thing, but he probably didn't have time to run through the records and check and see who was, good, who was elected and who was not, okay? Probably not. But Paul had something else. He says he knows because of the Holy Spirit's presence. That was the evidence for Paul that God had chosen these Thessalonians, okay? And he says the power of the Holy Spirit, not simply in words, but power, came. Whether that was miracles, whether that was powerful preaching, we don't know. But the Holy Spirit came in Paul's preaching and teaching and, and uh, in discussion with the Thessalonians. And then deep conviction. He says the Holy Spirit came in power and deep conviction. They felt this in themselves. Again, I can preach as eloquently and powerfully as I want up here unless the Holy Spirit convicts us, brings us, brings it to our heart, then my preaching will have no lasting effect here. Yeah. Power, deep conviction, joy in the Holy Spirit in the midst of suffering. These are the marks of the Holy Spirit that Paul sees and says, I know you're chosen because of these things. What's the method? Yeah, I just pull out three things here. The method of making true disciples here. One is 
godly lives an example of the apostles or whoever is proclaiming the gospel, whether it's us, whether it's the people in Tanzania, godly lives and examples. Paul says this, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and the Lord. You know how we lived among you. You saw our lives. You saw our examples. The power of the Holy Spirit was in that. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Can you say this? Can I say this? That following me is somehow synonymous with following Jesus Christ. I'd be scared to say that. I'm not sure I want people to follow me. But Paul says it unabashedly. You followed us and you follow Jesus Christ. Do people want to follow you? Do people look at you and they see Jesus Christ? They say, I want to follow this person because he's, he, the image of Jesus Christ is in him. This is the first part of the method. The second part, again, I've said this several times, bold and intentional proclamation of the gospel. Okay, listen, we are not all Pauls. There are probably not very many Pauls in this congregation, okay? I think that's the Lord's plan. The Lord doesn't need or want a whole bunch of Pauls. Can you imagine what the church would be like if everybody was Pauls? Wow, we'd be in trouble. Okay, that's the Lord's plan. We're not all Pauls, but we can all proclaim the gospel in one form or another. Finally, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, godly lives of the apostles, bold, intentional proclamation, presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, a lot of this is about, about what God, uh, God is doing. God's place, God's people, God's timing. You say, well, we can't do anything if the Holy Spirit shows up. Great, if he doesn't, we can't do anything. Well, I, don't, I want to affirm that. That's a good thing. This is more about God than it is about us. Disciple making is what the Lord is doing. Now, this is really about him. Okay, but relationship with the Holy Spirit can be cultivated. What makes the Holy Spirit likely or more likely to show up in our ministry? We could come up with a whole list of things I know, but I can think of four things right here. Things that are more, that will make, in us, that will make the Holy Spirit more likely to show up. Number one, godliness and obedience. If we're godly people, we're walking in obedience, much more likely the Holy Spirit will empower our words and our witness. Number two, humility and dependence on the Holy Spirit. If I'm dependent on myself, if I'm not humble, the uh, Holy Spirit doesn't like to come and work in proud people. Yeah, number three, faith and prayer. Yeah, we spend time, we pray, we have faith in what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And finally, we just Ask. Luke eleven thirteen. 13, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? A lot of time it's just as simple as asking for the Holy Spirit to be there. Are you a disciple maker? Are you a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple maker? The good news is here. The Lord wants us to do this. He is delighted to do this and to use us, to use weak and foolish and sinful and stumbling people to make disciples. 
He, do, he doesn't use the bunch of Paul. He does use the Pauls. He uses them powerfully. But he uses the Barnabases and the Timothys and the Silases and even the John Marks. He uses them too. It's God's will to do this. And he wants to use us if we will hear his words and follow his ways. Thessalonica, dramatic three-week narrative. It's the exception. doesn't happen very often in the book of Acts or on the peninsula or in Tanzania. doesn't happen very often. The normal way is more like this. Two years ago, my wife and I, we were on a short-term trip in a place called Ceuta, People from this church were part of that trip as well, and this church financed that trip to a large degree. We're really thankful for that. Ceuta is a little enclave in North Africa, part of Morocco, but run by Spain still. Okay, And we were reaching out to these African migrants there. I met a young man named Salah, very interested, very friendly young man from the Republic of Guinea, Muslim man. And he was instantly attracted to the gospel. We started to talk about the gospel, met with him several times. Some of the, the De La Mars met with him as well. Okay, at wonderful time, I thought he'd come to Christ while we were right there. He didn't. We stayed in touch. He moved up into Spain, finally moved up into France. WhatsApp is wonderful. We stayed in touch. Hooked him up with some believers there in the, in the city in France that he's at. He's part of a church there. Two weeks ago, we got baptized. Okay. That's the typical, normal, much less exciting way that disciples are made. But it's no less glorious than what happened in Thessalonica. May the Lord make us into true disciples, true disciple makers. Amen. Blessing? Yeah. Just going to conclude the service. This is a blessing from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So if you could rise for this and we'll. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify us completely, and may our whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls us is faithful, and he will surely do it. In Jesus' name, pray this blessing. Amen. Amen. Thank you.